There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Story time. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. August 13th started off like any other day. My name is Kalu, a proud member of the Sioux Nation. Together with my friend and Klamath Chief George Tucker, we set off on an elk poaching trip, a little over a mile southwest of Pelican Butte, Oregon. We were deep within the territory marked, about five miles west of the upper end of Klamath Lake. The area was rich with wildlife, a quiet, secluded spot nestled on top of a ridge in heavy forest, our favorite hunting ground. As we stalked our prey through the thick underbrush, something unusual caught my eye. In the distance, I saw what initially appeared to be a large, dark figure. As I squinted, 
trying to make sense of what I was seeing, the figure started to take shape. My heart pounded in my chest as I realized what it was, a creature unlike anything I had ever seen. Demon, I whispered to George, pointing towards the creature. It was the best word I could find to describe it. But it wasn't quite right. It was more like a woman gorilla, if such a thing existed. I knew it was female, as I could clearly see her bare breasts. She appeared to be lactating, suggesting she had a child somewhere, though it was not in sight. The creature was gigantic, easily towering over us at an estimated height of seven half feet. Her skin was a light brown, in stark contrast to the dark brown fur that covered the rest of her body. We were about 50 yards away, but I could clearly see the outline of prominent canine teeth in her wide mouth. Suddenly, she let out a loud, chilling scream that echoed through the forest, freezing us in our tracks. George and I instinctively lifted our loaded rifles, sighting the creature through our scopes. It was a reflex, born out of countless hours spent hunting. But even as we stared at the creature through our scopes, we knew we had no intention of pulling the triggers. This was no elk. This was something else. Something special. Shooting it felt wrong. Fear and awe battled within me as I stared at the creature. George and I exchanged a glance, and without a word, we knew what we had to do. With our hearts still pounding, we lowered our guns, turned, and made our rapid departure from the area. This was her forest. We were just visitors. We left with more questions than answers that day, but one thing was clear. We had just witnessed something extraordinary, something that would stay with us for the rest of our lives. I'll never forget the day when my team and I, all part of an elite Navy SEAL unit, were given the mission that would define our lives. We had been called in to dismantle a plot that could wipe Colorado off the map. A rogue scientist, once a brilliant mind in genetic engineering, had gone off the deep end. He had created monstrous creatures and was planning to detonate a nuclear device in Colorado, hoping to kickstart a war between his creations and innocent civilians. The scientist was tucked away in an impenetrable fortress within a top-secret government facility. The mission was clear, infiltrate the fortress, neutralize the nuclear threat, eliminate the creatures, and escape before our own military moved in to level the place. It was a no-return mission, but we were SEALs. Impossible was our specialty. Our approach was silent, under the cover of darkness. With stealth and precision, we infiltrated the fortress. It was eerily quiet, a lull before the storm. As we ventured deeper into the facility, we came face to face with the first of the scientists' creations. It was a grotesque hybrid, part man, part beast, all killer. The fight was brutal. Our bullets ripped through them, but they were tough and relentless. We fought our way through, using every bit of our training and instinct to survive. It was a nightmare come to life, but we had a mission to complete. Finally, we reached the control room where the scientist had holed up. He was a madman, his eyes filled with the insanity of his plot. He set off an alarm before we could apprehend him, sealing the fortress with us inside. The clock was ticking, both on the nuclear device and the military strike. We split up. Two of my men went to handle the nuclear device, 
while the rest of us dealt with the incoming wave of creatures. The scientist had saved his worst for last. These were bigger, stronger, faster. We were outnumbered and outmatched, but we held the line, refusing to let them through. Meanwhile, in the control room, our tech expert was frantically working on disarming the nuclear device. The countdown was relentlessly ticking away, adding to the tension that had already reached a fever pitch. With minutes to spare, he managed to disarm the device, a cheer ringing out over our comms. But our mission wasn't over yet. We still had to get out before our own military turned the place into a crater. We fought our way back, leaving a trail of dead creatures in our wake. The fortress was beginning to shake, the first bombs from our military strike hitting their mark. We sprinted towards the exit, the world around us crumbling. With seconds to spare, we dove out of the fortress, just as it imploded in a thunderous explosion. We lay there, battered and bruised, but alive. We had completed the mission, saved countless lives, and lived to tell the tale. Looking back, that mission changed us. We were no longer just soldiers, we were survivors, men who had looked into the heart of madness and come out the other side. We were SEALs, and we had done the impossible. I'm Jake, a seasoned park ranger near Paisley. You'd think my job was all about dealing with lost hikers and preserving the natural beauty of the park, but every now and then, something extraordinary happens. It was a typical Tuesday afternoon when I got a frantic call from a group of teen boys who had been hiking in the park. They claimed to have seen three Bigfoot creatures traipsing across a meadow, a sight they said was both fascinating and terrifying. As a ranger, I've heard tales of Bigfoot sightings, but they were usually from overenthusiastic tourists or pranksters. These kids seemed genuinely scared, though. I swear, Jake, they were huge taller than any man, and covered in fur. The oldest of the group, Tommy, stammered out his account. His friends nodded along, their eyes wide with a mix of fear and excitement. We didn't have a camera, or we would have taken a picture. The boys led me to the meadow they claimed to have seen the creatures. It was a quiet, peaceful stretch of land blanketed in wildflowers, bordered by thick woods. It was hard to imagine anything out of the ordinary happening here. However, as we ventured further into the meadow, I noticed something strange. There were large footprints imprinted in the soft soil, unlike any animal tracks I had seen before. They were massive, with a unique pattern that couldn't be mistaken for a bear or any other creature native to these parts. The boys watched as I crouched down tracing the outline of one of the footprints with a sense of awe and apprehension. Whether it was the imagination of the boys or the footprints that were undeniably strange, I couldn't dismiss their story outright. I assured the boys that we'd look into it, reminding them of the park's policy to respect all wildlife. The boys left, leaving me alone in the quiet meadow. Days turned into weeks, and the story of the Bigfoot sighting spread through the town. We never found more evidence, and I never saw anything unusual in my patrols. But the memory of that day, the boy's wide-eyed fear, and the strange footprints in the meadow have stuck with me. Maybe there are things in these woods that we don't fully understand. As a park ranger, 
It's my duty to protect this land and all the creatures that call it home, seen and unseen. And who knows? Maybe one day, I'll come face to face with the elusive Bigfoot myself. I've been a ranger for well over 30 years. At some point, they decided that they would take some of the workload off my feet and let me do most of my work at the visitor center, which is about a third of the way into the natural reserve. My body appreciates their consideration for the condition that I'm in, but my mental health doesn't. Keeping on the move and always on patrol was my way of coping with things. Working out of the visitor center gave me more time to think and that's not necessarily a healthy thing. Suffice to say, I'm divorced and my kids, well, they don't want to talk to me. All while I'm facing my twilight years all by myself. I'm not trying to draw attention here. Those will be necessary details in just a few short seconds. They forced me to take coffee breaks if I had to go too hard for too long. I was taking one such compulsory coffee break on one of the outdoor wooden park benches, completely by myself. People don't come to the park to look around the visitor center anymore. Besides the brochures of park information, the only thing the park has to offer is the same four or five fun facts, and they've been hanging out for a long time. In fact, everybody has seen them. Nobody wants to see them again. I was quickly yanked out of my thoughts when I heard a voice that I hadn't heard for over 15 years, but recognized it instantly. It was the voice of my ex-wife, and she was calling my name. My brain was trying to come up with a rational explanation as to why I was hearing this. And then I heard my daughter's voice come out to me also. Except she didn't sound like the 43-year-old woman that she had grown into. Instead, she sounded exactly the way she did when she was around nine years old. I was anchored to the park bench for a while, terrified to move. Just in case I was having a heart attack, or a stroke, or experiencing something else that would mess with my mind. Perhaps I was dying. Perhaps this was a practical joke. But who could mimic those voices so well and know my name at the same time? I decided to try a more tactical approach. I would come towards the voices, but I wouldn't answer them. There were long pauses between each call, as if my wife and daughter were waiting for me to answer. But then they would call out again. And it was in those moments that I would pick up on the direction that they were coming from. Unless my ears were lying to me, it sounded like they were coming from the woods that came right up against the physical building of the visitor center. I stepped to the trees quietly, resting when there was silence and walking when I heard the voices. I approached the opening in the trees. They couldn't have been more than 14 feet in diameter. It was also clustered by some low-growing shrubs. I remained hidden as best as possible. It didn't sound like the voices were coming from nearby. They were coming from that very small clearing. I didn't see how it could be possible. If my wife and daughter were there, they'd be visible clearly unless they were lying down on the shrubbery. So I stared for what felt like forever. But then, a shape slowly rose out of the growth. And it appeared to have two large block eyes that were proportionate to its head, the same way the eyes of a fly are proportionate to its head. Everything about it was just a little too long. The neck, the shoulders, the arms. It did not stand up to its full length. 
just high enough to get a good look around, before opening its mouth and speaking with both the voices of my wife and my daughter in one, calling out to me, asking where I was and what was taking so long. Then, without noticing me, it slowly sank back down. I could see its pale, ribbed back bent over and underneath the topmost of the leaves where it did its best to try and stay hidden. I took up my pistol and I shot as many times as I could before I realized that there was a problem. At least two good hits landed on its flesh before it sprang up and ran. I don't know if the other three or four shots hit. Miraculously, I was able to slip back into the center and not have to offer an explanation to anybody important. The older girl there, that works behind the front desk, asked if she had heard something dangerous and I just told her that I saw some kids setting off fireworks. My ex-wife may be many things, but somebody with the ability, let alone the intelligence, to send some strange, forced monster after me and lure me out with the sound of her voice isn't one of them. After that incident, I've kind of given in to the urging of my superiors to spend more time in that area and less time tromping around outside. There are clearly more forces at work in this world that know more about me, and know me better than I know myself, and the less I have to tangle with them, the better. I apologize in advance for my story being so long, but I figured I would give you the unfiltered version. Thank you. It was 2008 in San Antonio, Texas. I was on patrol alone one night when I heard a loud thumping sound coming from the back of my squad car. I stopped, got out to investigate, and then, suddenly, I was faced with something that seemed to come straight out of a horror film. I was terrified and shaken, and this is my story. The district I was patrolling was new to me. It was around 2.20 am and I had just finished checking several convenience stores when the loud thumping sound from the back of my car caused me to pull over. As I stepped out of the vehicle, a large figure burst out from the woods across the street and started running towards me. For a split second, I thought it was a person, but as it got closer, I realized with a chill that it wasn't. The creature was on all fours, covered in hair, with the body of a man and the head of a wolf. It seemed to be wearing a uniform, but as I squinted through the darkness, I realized it was just its thick, matted fur. The creature stopped about 30 feet from me, its eyes boring into mine as though sizing me up. Fear rooted me to the spot. I slammed on my car horn for what seemed like an eternity, hoping someone would come, but no one did. Suddenly, the creature started to charge at me. Overcoming my initial shock, I jumped back into my car and sped off. I was too frightened to share my encounter with anyone. I was afraid they wouldn't believe me, that they would think I was crazy. But now, as similar sightings are being reported all over the world, I've decided it's time to share my experience. I hope that my story encourages other officers who have had similar encounters to come forward. In the summer of 94, I found myself in the heart of Oregon's mountainous region. I was working for a geological service back then and had taken a friend along for a horseback ride near Husband Lake, close to Linton Meadow. We were about seven miles out on the Cascade Crest Trail, 
a rugged path accessible from where road 1624 ended. The trail was flanked by a swampy area on one side and a steep 400-foot cliff on the other, coming off Husband Mountain. As we were riding along, something strange at the top of the ridge caught our eyes. There was a stump there, or at least that's what we initially thought it to be. But then, to our disbelief, the stump moved. It stood up there and watched us, I remember saying to my friend in hushed whispers. The figure was at an almost impossible angle, precariously leaning over the cliff edge, seemingly trying to get a better look at us. Then, almost as if it was aware that we were watching, it started to retreat in slow motion, gradually disappearing from our sight. However, this wasn't the last we saw of it. Twice more it reappeared along the trail. One time, it had its foot rested on a boulder. That was when our horses began to act up, sidestepping and dancing nervously. They were clearly spooked, and we were in a hurry to get down the trail, away from the mysterious figure. The creature was silhouetted against the sky, the sun casting its form in shadow. We couldn't see any specific details, but its size was unmistakable. It was a massive figure, easily twice the size of a man, and appeared to be heavily muscled. Its fur, or skin, was dark brown. It resembled descriptions I've heard of the fabled dog man. After that encounter, I became convinced that there was a family of these creatures in the area. I don't know if they are dog man or Bigfoot or something else entirely, but I do know that they are out there. And every time I venture into those mountains, I can't shake the feeling that we are being watched by those curious, hidden eyes. It was the 14th of October, and my son Peter and I found ourselves hunting in the woods northeast of Lincoln City, Oregon. The air was crisp, and the rustle of autumn leaves echoed through the forest, creating an eerie yet familiar atmosphere. We've always enjoyed these fathersome excursions, a tradition passed down through generations. But that day, we were to stumble upon something that would etch itself into our memories forever. As we moved deeper into the woods, we noticed a peculiar sight. A large section of the forest floor had been disturbed. Numerous roots, each one large and white as though freshly exposed to the air, were pulled up from the ground. That wasn't the strange part. What baffled us was the arrangement of these roots. Each one of them was laid in a row along the path we were following, all facing the same direction. The roots were intact, displaying a systematic arrangement that seemed too deliberate to be the work of animals. It was as if something or someone had carefully uprooted and arranged these roots with a specific intent. Peter and I exchanged puzzled glances, our curiosity peaked. We were familiar with the woods and its residents, but this was something we had never seen before. It was unsettling, and we felt a sense of unease creeping over us. Nevertheless, we decided to press on, keeping a mental note of the strange roots. The next day, we returned to the same spot, half expecting the roots to be gone, perhaps carried off by some animal or scattered by the wind. But they were still there, undisturbed, laid out in the same meticulous order as the day before. To this day, we don't know what caused this strange occurrence. Was it some bizarre natural phenomenon? Or was it the work of an unknown creature in the woods? We can only speculate. 
But one thing is certain, the woods of Lincoln City hold mysteries that go beyond our comprehension, and that day, we had come face to face with one of them. It was a typically crisp day when I, Hugh, decided to explore the cutover area near Larch Mountain, Wyoming. This place, bordered by dense forests on either side, had always intrigued me. I had an adventurous spirit, always have, and the unknown depths of the woods called to me. That day, a cool northern wind blew, rustling the branches of the trees and sending leaves fluttering around me. However, as I moved deeper into the woods, a very pungent odor assaulted my senses. It was an overpowering smell, a scent so strong that it made me feel lightheaded. It seemed to emanate from the darkness of the woods, drawing me towards it. Following my instincts, I ventured further into the forest, trying to locate the source of the smell. After some time, I stumbled upon a dead deer carcass, rotting away amidst the foliage. But oddly, the smell wasn't coming from there. The stench was different, more potent and disturbing. Feeling puzzled but undeterred, I decided to explore another area, about a quarter of a mile away. Half an hour had passed since I'd first encountered the smell, and just as I was beginning to think I'd imagined it, the odor reappeared. This time, it was stronger, more nauseating. Then, in the midst of the dense silence of the woods, I heard a strange noise. It sounded like clicks on the tree trunks, coming from the woods on a nearby hill that overlooked my location. The sound was incredibly loud, like the hammering of a hundred-pound woodpecker. The woods, which had been eerily silent moments before, now echoed with the sound of the mysterious clicks. That's when I felt it, a cold rush of fear, a primal instinct to flee. I've always been one for adventure, but this. This was something different. It was a clear message, a warning from the woods, I wasn't welcome there. So, I did what most sensible people would do in a situation like that. I got the hell out of there. The woods might call to my adventurous spirit, but that day, they whispered a different message, one of caution and respect for the unknown. My name is Lieutenant Commander Jack Diaz, and I'm the team leader of an elite group of Navy SEALs. When we were told that a CIA operative had gone missing in North Korea, we knew we were in for a hell of a mission. As it turned out, it was far worse than we could have imagined. Our insertion into North Korea was as quiet as a whisper, the night sky providing us the perfect cover. The operative's last known location was an isolated compound in the mountains. We moved swiftly, avoiding patrols and staying off the grid. Upon reaching the compound, we quickly realized this wasn't just a holding site. We stumbled upon a full-blown bio-weapon facility. It was a chilling sight. Vials of deadly pathogens, blueprints of dispersal methods, and chilling indications of test trials. We realized we were standing in the heart of a potential global catastrophe. Our mission suddenly expanded. We had to rescue the operative, dismantle this operation, and get out alive. Tensions on the Korean peninsula were high, any misstep could ignite a war. We made our way deeper into the facility. It was there we found him. The captive operative. But this was no stranger. 
I recognized him instantly. It was Ghost, a former SEAL, a brother. We thought he had died years ago in a mission gone sideways. Seeing him again, battered but alive, it was a shock. With renewed determination, we fought our way through the facility, neutralizing guards and sabotaging their operation. Ghost, even in his weakened state, fought alongside us. He was a seal through and through. We set charges along the facility, ready to wipe this nightmare off the map. But we were running out of time. North Korean reinforcements were closing in, and we were still deep within enemy territory. The fight out of the facility was fierce. We moved as one, covering each other's backs, just like old times. Ghost was with us, moving with the fluid grace that we remembered. As we made our last sprint towards our extraction point, we detonated the charges. The facility went up in a blaze, the bioweapons and their sinister plans incinerated. Our chopper whisked us away just as enemy reinforcements swarmed the area. We were battered, bruised, but victorious. As we crossed the border, we shared a look of relief. Ghost was back with us, and we had averted a potential global catastrophe. But we knew our fight wasn't over. Ghost's existence, the bioweapons facility, it was all part of something bigger, something more dangerous. But whatever it was, we were ready. We were SEALs, and we never backed down from a fight. When I was seven, I was camping with my parents and baby sister in Virginia. We were staying in a campground specifically for our V's, but there were also some cabins available to rent. On the first day there, after being constantly pestered to take me to the park my dad complained to my mom that I was old enough to walk the short distance to the park and play without supervision. My mom has always been very overprotective and a worrier, and even more so after this camping trip. My mom finally gave in and allowed me to go alone to the campground park. While at the playground, I met a little girl around my own age, and we played together for a while. She was also by herself. I invited her to come back to my RV to play with Barbies with me and we headed in that direction. On the way, we crossed paths with my parents, who were going to another family's RV to visit and socialize. We let them know we were going to play Barbies in my family's RV after we played for a little while, she suggested we pack up the Barbies and go to the cabin she and her grandparents were staying in to play with her Barbies too, which we did. It never even occurred to me that my parents didn't know this girl or her family or where I would have gone. They had assumed we were going to stay in my RV and play. We played at her cabin for a long time, and while we played, her grandparents were packing up their things and preparing to leave the campground. When they were all packed up to go, they said they would drop me back off at my RV on their way so I wouldn't have to walk. Obviously, my parents had always told me to never get in a car with a stranger, and I knew this. But it just never occurred to me that this was exactly what they meant. I genuinely never felt remotely afraid or concerned about the situation. The little girl's grandparents packed up their car, and we all climbed in. We stopped at the campground's general store, and her grandpa bought us both ice cream cones. All I could think was how nice and generous her family was. We got back in the car, and I assumed they would next be dropping me off at my RV. 
I sat in the car eating my ice cream and talking with my friend, completely oblivious to the outside of the car. Suddenly, my door flew open and my dad, with tears pouring down his cheeks, yanked me out of the car and hugged me harder than he ever had in my life. I was so confused. And then the car I was in sped away, very quickly. It was then that I realized that we were at the exit of the campground. Apparently, upon returning to our RV, and finding my new friend and me gone without a trace, my parents had contacted the ranger station and a lot of people were out looking for me, in the woods and going door to door to the other RVs. My dad just happened to be walking by as he saw me in the people's car, just about to leave the campground. I don't know who those people were but they definitely had no intention of bringing me back to my parents. I think the ice cream was bought to distract me from noticing we weren't heading in the direction of my own campsite. Over the years, I've often thought of that day and how different my life could be if my dad hadn't seen me just in the nick of time. I remember that day clearly. I was in the kitchen, phone pressed to my ear, lost in conversation with my sister. As we chatted, I found myself idly watching the hillside across the creek through the kitchen window. My dogs were causing a ruckus outside, their barks echoing through the quiet of the afternoon. Curiosity peaked, I squinted, trying to see what had them so worked up. That's when I noticed the bushes. They were rustling, leaves swaying in a rhythm that didn't match the gentle breeze of the day. And then, amidst the greenery, I saw it, a figure. It was tall, broad, and stout, covered in long dark brown hair. It almost resembled a human, but there was something distinctly primal, almost ape-like about it. For a solid two minutes, I just stared, my mind struggling to make sense of what I was seeing. It moved through the bushes, causing leaves to quiver in its wake before it vanished as abruptly as it had appeared. The whole time, I was on the phone with my sister, narrating the event in hushed, awestruck whispers. A wave of excitement washed over me, followed swiftly by a sharp jolt of fear. I quickly locked the door and rushed to check for my husband's 12-gauge. Safety first, right? I didn't see the creature, the Sasquatch, after that day. But every now and then, my dogs would bark in that same peculiar, whimpering way, a bark different from their usual. It always made me wonder if they sensed its presence. Years later, my sister was watching a documentary about Sasquatch sightings in the Portland, Oregon area on the Learning Channel. It aired on Friday, October 27, 2000, and it brought back memories of our phone conversation that day. She called me, excitement evident in her voice. She had done some research and found this website, and she urged me to document my sighting. It was a surreal experience, one that has stayed with me even after all these years. The memory of the creature and the rustling bushes is as clear as day, a reminder of the mysteries that our world still holds. I love waking up in the dark and walking the sunrise with my dogs. I didn't intend to own two huskies and a German Shepherd mix, but they each found me, and I couldn't turn them away. We usually jog about 5 miles daily, often in the neighborhood. But nearly as often I load us up in the van and drive 10 minutes to the wooded metro park. 
I love it there. They offer some trails that allow quads and motorbikes, some bicycles and skis, some just people, and last year they opened a new one that allows pets. It's a five-mile loop into the area farthest from the city we live on the northern edge of town but in the dark with no leaves on the trees, you can clearly see the red glow of the CVS sign for most of the hike. These are tamed woods, with asphalt paths, and concrete fire pits, and rangers patrolling regularly, and the hospital behind CVS means there's emergency medical care and walking distance. I was up coughing again in the night, I had a serious case of pneumonia two months ago and was not fully recovered when this sinus infection hit me. I'm past the fever part so we're walking, not yet jogging, again, but after being up in the night I didn't get up in time to go walk before I dropped my kids off at school. Then my youngest had an appointment, and then I had to run a few errands, and then we had unexpected visitors right after school, and then they stayed for dinner, and finally I got the dogs into the van and we made it to the park just before it started to get dark. I was irritated at all the little things that had kept me from my walk all day, but as we drove all the way to the back of the park, I realized we'd be walking the sunset, watching it over the lake and the hills and through the bare trees. And the park was clearing out, now, as it started towards dark, we would very nearly have the place to ourselves, and might not have to pull off the path to let others pass us. An amazing number of people who are afraid of dogs hike the pet path. All those little irritations had led up to this singular moment of beauty I would not otherwise have seen and appreciated. This was going to be a really good walk. Funny how life works out when you let it. I parked in my spot at the farthest end of the parking lot by the bathrooms. A mile long people, walkers or joggers only, path looped through the woods and by the lake and came out by the bathrooms. I liked to run it when I came here alone. It was a glorious walk through a Bob Ross painting. My mind cleared and my thoughts quieted and I simply experienced the woods, my feet on the path, my dogs panting, the nature sounds, the beauty of the sky. I absolutely loved it. About halfway now, and the city sounds had faded away till I could only hear the birds, and frogs, and insects all singing their songs of territory, and mating, and life. Crack. Utter silence and absolute stillness. My dogs and I turned instantly towards the source of the sound and froze. Behind us and to the right, the sound had come from the crest of a hill. I could see nothing, and heard only the dogs panting. I waited for the nature sounds to return. They did not. All three of the dogs slowly raised their ruffs, first standing on end all around their shoulders and necks, tails held tall and proud, making themselves look larger and more threatening. I took a step towards them and the female husky, the leader of my little pack, instantly put her ears back and her head down and pulled me down the path. All three of them left their tails and ruffs up, but the two males also put ears back and heads down and began to pull me, so off we went. The woods were still silent. We must have startled a buck on the slope of the hill, not seen him, and after we passed he leapt up the hill and jumped a dead tree and his hoof hit a dead branch and the branch broke crack and scared everyone. Why were the woods still silent? Maybe there's someone up there, homeless people must stay here sometimes, the bathrooms have heat so the pipes don't freeze. This is about as far out as the path goes, it would be a good place to sleep.
Maybe he's setting up a shelter and crack broke a branch. Why were the woods still silent? We were about as far from the city as we could get in these woods and you couldn't see the CVS sign or the glow from street lights or even hear the traffic noises. It was dark, and still, and absolutely quiet except for the panting dogs and four sets of footsteps on the path. I wanted to run. The dogs wanted to run. Bigfoot. That was a Bigfoot breaking a log to say get out. There are no Bigfoot in city limits, I promise you that, brain. It was a deer. The woods are still quiet because of US. I have 200 pounds of dog here, yes, they're the big huskies, and another 200 pounds of me. Yeah, I'm a little fat but I've got good muscle underneath. I have broad shoulders that don't fit into women's shirts, and big hands that don't fit into women's gloves. I can lift 100 pounds over my head. We are the scariest thing in these woods. There's no bear. There's no wolves. There's no Bigfoot. There are deer and there are foxes and there might be an angry raccoon but we are the biggest, baddest, scariest thing in these woods. Unless there's someone with a gun. Shut up. You're not helping. The dogs had not stopped once to sniff or mark. Heads down, ears back, tails and ruffs still held high, they just wanted to go. We'd gone almost a mile now, me craning my head the whole time trying to see as far as I could in all directions while letting the dogs pull me down the path, and it was still absolutely silent. Not an overflying goose. Not a cricket. Nothing moved. Nothing made a sound. Except us. Here came the third and longest of the three steep hills on this trail. I had been running these to rebuild my strength and endurance. But if I ran this I'd be blown at the top. The top where it curved around as it crested and you couldn't see anything past the thick trees. The top where if you were deeper in the woods you could follow a more gradual ridge up to the crest of the hill and wait, unseen, for someone to come up the path. Ambush. It was a deer. Turn around? It was just a deer. What if it's behind us? Ambush. Deer. Gun. Bigfoot. This is why I run. The noise in my head is unbearable otherwise. Up the hill. Walk. Pay attention. Watch the dogs. The dogs were still on alert but didn't hesitate to go up the hill. In fact they wanted to go faster. Just walk. Don't get smoked. Be able to run or fight if you have to. Yeah, okay, I'm scared too. The wood should not still be silent. The dog should not still be on alert. It's not a cat or a bear or a wolf and I really doubt it's Bigfoot. But it could be a person. So let's be smart. Just walk. We are not good prey. The dogs will protect me, the huskies might not, alone, but the shepherd will and they'll follow his lead. Be smart, and get out. Only another mile now to the lake and the first parking lot. Then another half mile along the lake to the second lot, where my van was. Hearing traffic noises now but still no birds. No crickets. No frogs. The smell almost stopped me in my tracks, but the dogs kept pulling. Sour and grassy and oddly metallic and. Shit. Shit and blood and partially digested grass. I smelled the contents of a deer's stomach. Someone hunted these woods. And the dogs were not at all interested in the smell. We ran. 
I don't remember much of that last mile. We just ran. Dizina, the big female husky, finally stopped to drink some lake water as we came out by the parking lot. Then she began to sniff and pee. The boys followed her lead. There was a single truck parked. I relaxed quite a bit, but still felt on edge. Down the lake in the next parking lot I could see headlights. They must be parked at the turnaround at the end of the lot closest to the lake. Their headlights illuminated the lakeside path. They're watching us. Halfway to the van now and the car drove away. 20 feet from the van I heard a motor coming down the nearest path. I decided to put the dogs in the car on the driver's side instead of the passenger side like normal. The sound of the motor came closer. The leashes caught on the armrest and I had to untangle them before the dogs could jump into the van. The motor came closer down the path. I had to be gone before it came out. I knew it with an absolute certainty. Finally the dogs were in. I slammed the door and jumped in the front, fumbling for the lock button, shaking hands unclipping the keys from my jogging belt, starting the car and gunning it into reverse. And as my headlights swept over the entrance of the path by the bathrooms, they lit up a four-wheeler coming out of the woods. I was dropping the transmission into drive and hitting the gas, and as my brain processed what my eyes saw, it informed me there was something across the handlebars. A gun? A deer carcass? I couldn't tell, and because of the angle when pulling away, I couldn't see him in the rearview mirror at all. It all began in the heart of Appalachia. That's where I first had the encounters that would forever change my perspective on the world. I'm not one for tall tales or flights of fancy, but what I saw, as absurd as it sounds, was real. I remember the day as clear as a bell. I was walking through the woods, lost in the peaceful rhythm of nature, when I noticed a peculiar movement in my peripheral vision. As I squinted, trying to make sense of what I was seeing, my eyes landed on a small figure, no more than 12 inches tall. It was a tiny man, or so it seemed, dragging another creature by the ankle. I could barely believe what I was seeing, but there was no denying it. The creature being dragged was no ordinary critter. It was a fairy, and by the looks of it, either unconscious or worse. I know how preposterous it sounds, trust me, I've wrestled with the logic of it for years. But I saw it with my own eyes, the tiny man and the fairy, right there in the heart of Appalachia. Fast forward four years, and I found myself face to face with the unbelievable once more. Again, I was in the woods, not far from where I had the first encounter. This time, I saw fairies, a whole group of them, fluttering about, their wings shimmering under the filtered sunlight. I don't expect anyone to believe me, at least not anyone who hasn't seen it with their own eyes. Telling this story is a risk, one that opens me up to ridicule and disbelief. Yet, the truth of what I saw remains, etched in my memory. It's a secret I carry, one I can't share with the people I know in real life. They wouldn't understand, wouldn't be able to accept it. But maybe, just maybe, there are others out there who've seen what I've seen, who know that sometimes, reality is stranger than we could ever imagine. In 1999, I was seven years old, 
playing in the woods with my friend Charlotte. We were standing at each end of a big log in the woods, when I noticed movement in my peripherals. I tried focusing my periphery to catch a detailed look, I see similar movement often when we're in the woods, and always disappears, more like scatters, before I turn to look. My heart skipped a beat when I could make out a group of little people, looking up at me as well. I was frozen in the pose I was playing in, after a few seconds I realized Charlotte had stopped narrating out play, and was frozen in place as well, staring at me but focusing on them. I'm pretty sure they were dressed because it didn't look like they were all naked. I could tell they knew we were aware of them, and they dispersed as Charlotte moved her eyes. We didn't talk about it until we were in her house, we weren't afraid, just confused on our walk home. We wrote out what we saw before talking about it, to see if we saw the same thing. Unfortunately both our descriptions were so vague, but clothed, less than a foot for sure. One thing we were positive of was to mind our business and to not go searching, which is what our instinct would have usually been. Duh. We thought we found a colony of little people in the woods. But the fact that our reaction was to quietly leave and not even talk about it until behind closed doors, and still not even talk out loud but write it. I don't remember being too frightened, in fact we kind of just accepted it and moved on with a new taste of what this world-slash-universe is capable of. I watched the Indian in the cupboard later in life which reminded me of these little people, but I no longer saw them by then. Charlotte and I would talk about seeing things out of the corner of our eyes but could never figure out what it was. Although, Charlotte was different, her and her dad were huge hippies, tire swing in the kitchen, no TV, and her imagination was so wildly magnificent that it made my mind radiate, I always thought that maybe her narration of our play was so powerful and energetic, that we could manifest and see the same thing. Little people were never playing any parts in either of our imaginations, in fact, when we both confirmed what each other saw, we were kind of in awe that we've never even dreamt of tiny people on this universe. My ex-boyfriend was Navajo, and he used to share countless stories from his culture and his childhood with me. One in particular still sends shivers down my spine. When he was a kid, he and his sister loved to play in the dense woodland that bordered their house. They were inseparable, always lost in some grand adventure, a world of their own making. But one day, something strange happened that abruptly ended their woodland escapades. They were deep in their usual game when an eerie feeling washed over them. The woods, usually teeming with sounds of life, fell eerily silent. It was as if the forest itself was holding its breath. Something felt off, but they couldn't quite put their fingers on it. Rattled, they decided to cut their playtime short and rushed home. Their concern was evident, and it didn't go unnoticed by their parents, who decided to seek the counsel of a respected medicine man in their community. The medicine man listened to their story, his face growing more serious as they explained what had happened. When they finished, he nodded sagely and told them, little people have been watching you as you played. The woods are their home, and you have intruded on their space. It's best not to play over there anymore. The term he used to describe these beings was something like Dejini men, a phrase that always seemed to catch in my ex's throat as he said it, his eyes filled with the memory of that day. 
I've tried to find more information about these Dijini men, but my efforts have proved fruitless. Still, the story has stayed with me, a reminder of the unseen world that could very well exist just beyond our perception, right there in the untouched corners of the forest. Six years ago, when I was only 12, an experience shook me to my core. I'd just returned home from school and was enjoying my lunch in front of the TV. Both my parents were out, and my grandmother was fast asleep in her room. As I sat there engrossed in my favorite cartoon, something in the room adjacent to the TV caught my attention from the corner of my eye. At first, I tried to dismiss it as my imagination, keeping my focus glued to the screen. But soon, I felt a movement in that room. When I turned my head, my heart nearly leapt out of my chest. I saw the teeth of a person, wide open in a terrifying grin. It was a woman, or at least that's what it looked like. A black figure, smiling at me. My heart pounded in my chest, and for a moment, I was paralyzed by fear. I stared at her for what felt like an eternity but was probably only five seconds. Then, she started moving towards me. That was my breaking point. Fight or flight kicked in, and I bolted towards the room, slammed the door shut, and dashed out into the backyard. Outside, my breath came in ragged gasps. I kept glancing at the house, peering through every door and window, scared that the figure might follow me. It took me a good 10 minutes to calm down. When I finally gathered the courage to go back inside, I found the door to the room still closed. I checked on my grandmother. She was still asleep, oblivious to the ordeal I'd just experienced. I wanted to wake her up, but I couldn't bring myself to do it. I returned to my spot in front of the TV, my gaze locked onto the screen but my mind elsewhere, grappling with the terror I'd just experienced. When my parents arrived home later, I finally felt a bit safer. I called up my friend and spilled out the entire incident to him. Surprisingly, as time passed, the incident faded from my memory. I never told my parents about it until a month ago when a scene from a horror movie brought the memory rushing back. They brushed it off as a dream since I'd kept it a secret for six years, but my friend remembered my frantic call that day. To this day, I don't know what I saw. Was it a spirit? A hallucination? I've tried to rationalize it, but the memory remains vivid and real. After that day, I never encountered anything similar again, except for a strange occurrence last week. But that's a story for another time. I live in Connecticut and had a very negative paranormal experience out in the woods in Granby. Time loss, ending up in a place we could not have physically ended up in given the time. Like we went for a hike and basically ended up in a place 10 miles away and over a mountain slash cliff slash hills. Two of us were tripping with one sober trip sitter tagging along with us, so we chalked it up to that because we did get lost, the trip sitter was kind of a shitty person in the end so we assumed she deliberately let us get lost for entertainment on her behalf, I don't know lol. But when we ended up getting rescued by a friend's boyfriend and brought back to our car, even he dead sober could not believe we ended up where we did. Three towns over literally, 
In only two hours that also involved a lot of walking back and forth on the same path slash trail. We weren't even walking fast, just mazzying around and enjoying nature until we realized we suddenly didn't recognize where we were anymore despite never leaving that original trail. And the way back down it seemed different and foreign, even according to our trip sitter. I refused to go back to that hiking spot, the whole situation gave my other tripping friend a panic attack. It felt a bit like some of the stuff that I've heard about happening in the 411 missing docu, I think it's called that, and I don't actually care for the guy who made it since I heard he's a bit dishonest about some things. There's a lot of granite and quartz in Connecticut, and apparently weird paranormal stuff happens around those types of rock formations slash crystals. I know one time I was hiking and legit started to get trippy visuals despite being sober myself during that hike and it seemed to occur only in a very rocky part of the trail. I booked it because it made me feel out of control, not a good feeling when alone with your dog out in the woods lol. I don't spend time out in the woods in Connecticut alone anymore. Not even with my dog. I need a posse or I'm not going out there lol. As of right now, the dreams have died down, but this is something that most people don't believe when I tell them this. A few months ago, I constantly had extremely agonizing migraines followed with brain fog. This always happened at night from what I can recall, and there was always an ammonious mechanical humming slash buzzing over the roof of my house. After the first few nights of this occurring, it had occurred again, but this time I believe I had actually seen what the source of this sound was. What makes this more disturbing is that I live far from any other airports that may be in a dozen kilometer radius of the area I live in. I saw this colossal, triangular aircraft with three red but dim lights on its corners. There were green, stroking lights on its sides and white lights around the center of the structure. It moved quickly but low enough for me to notice it. Sadly I was too slow to capture a photo of it before it got out of view. After this incident, I kept having extremely detailed dreams about these strange aircrafts. One of which in particular was one of the most detailed ones. I was in my house with my mother and suddenly I felt the urge to go outside and look at the sky. I had my camera with me, and when I had walked outside, I saw this huge triangular craft. I took a few photos of it and when I went back inside, time had seemingly accelerated from dawn to sunset. I woke up from that dream with a short, but excruciatingly painful migraine. The second dream took place in what looked like a UFO assembly line with some sort of gas giant outside a window in space or SMTH. I was sitting in some sort of waiting room and a man dressed in what looked like some sort of space suit took me on a tour. I saw all sorts of UFO types, cross-shaped, dome, cigar, triangular, cube, etc. A few days after this dream I had seen the strangest shit I had ever seen in my life. I am sorry if my grammar is bad while writing this because I'm currently on mobile. I was standing outside with my friends drinking some Sprite, and an hour after they left, I saw this rectangular, dark metallic object with red lights on its corners hovering by the side of my roof. There was a glass panel on the side of it with something, I can't recall what, inside, controlling it. I drop her my phone in horror before I could take a pic, 
But it didn't hit the ground. It felt like time stopped. I caught something moving in the corner of my eye. I glanced over to my left and saw this gray, cylindrical thing with contorted legs and a horn with a glowing end on what would be its face. The way it moved will haunt me for a long time. It was jittery but disturbingly smooth as if it was rotoscoped into reality. After that time leapt forwards and it was as if I had been standing in that same position for an entire night. Walked in my house and immediately fell asleep, tried to get my mind off what happened that night but couldn't. I was not under any drugs or intoxication during this. I am turning 30 in a few months and I can still recall so vividly the three shadow people I encountered in my home somewhere between the ages of 8 and 12. A little background on me. I moved to a small town upstate, New York at around 7 years old. When this happened, my mother had recently just departed from my father, kicked him out lol. My family had a weird vibe pretty much. I wasn't close with my older sister and we were one year apart. My youngest sister I don't believe was born yet, so it was just us three and my mom. My brother had a best friend that lived up the street and I'd describe us as Ed, Ed and Eddie lol just three young kids causing havoc around the neighborhood. Also if it counts for anything, we grew up very Christian family especially on mom's side but when we moved we stopped going to church as often. One of my sweetest grandmother memories. I recall when I was young. Before we would leave my grandmother's house in the city of New Arkeyo she would anoint us with oil on our foreheads and say a prayer before we left to go back home, upstate. Anyway, I remember it being like any other day. We played outside, Game Boy Color or Advance I don't know, traded Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh cards and just had fun all day long. We came in, showered and settled down. I guess it was probably summer when school was out because I was up late and my sister was too but I didn't know this at the time. My brother was knocked out next to me with his head facing the wall and I was on the other edge of the bed with my head facing the door to his room which was wide open. My brother and I were so close man which explains why I was making myself comfortable in his room. It was pretty much a real brotherly bond I would say and I kind of get emotional thinking about it because nothing was ever the same since that day. Anyway, I'm laying there just trying to go to sleep I guess and I just get this odd feeling that I'm being watched. All of the lights were off and we were no longer in a city environment where there is light even in darkness, upstate NY is dark dark when the lights go out especially in the house. From my brother's doorway, the hallway made an L shape. If you turn right and walk down the hall there was my sister's room, also my room at the time, or you can go straight ahead towards the stairs. Obviously, I'm staring straight ahead towards the stairs. I'm staring now because I can't sleep with this odd f feeling. And within seconds, a tall shadow began to appear in the distance on the stairs and it was freaky. Because man you can see the outline of this thing in the pitch dark. Blackness. This thing was blacker than the blackness itself. And the eyes were the only thing that I could really see. His outline was tall, he had a tall hat and he was just skinny with long looking fingers. Now, my heart is pounding and I'm pretty much thinking WTF is going on. So I start blinking nervously because I didn't believe I was seeing this. As I blinked the other two appeared closer than the last one. 
They were no longer on the stairs but in the hallway. One wore a hood and carried what seemed like a stick sort of like the Grim Reaper. And the other one was large. Like wide and fat. The eyes were large and just gave Amy a bad up feeling. I literally laid there in fear and I tried to refrain from blinking at one point because it seemed like every time I blinked, they got closer. I promise you, the tears were flowing and I made the mistake of blinking and it was like they just appeared right in the doorway. And that's when I couldn't hold my fear in any longer man, I let out the most excruciating scream. I was scared for dear life I felt like those things were going to kill me. I just started screaming loud and my mother was heavy-footed man. All I heard was her come stomping from her room at the end of the hall and into the hall. She flipped on the hallway light switch and came running slash stomping into the room. I swear it was like an elephant coming to save her baby man. My mom is such graceful woman I promise lol but I always remember her being so heavy footed when she would move around the home probably because she was often rushing everywhere. I guess raising kids will do that to you lol but man that day felt like no other. She scooped me up and took me back to her room and was just consoling me asking me what the hell happened. She was scared that I was scared. But I was out of it. It took me a while to calm down and explain to her what I saw. I wasn't only afraid of her reaction but I was always a thinker back then and even now. I just thought at the time even if I told her what could she do? It's not like she could beat them up or something because I knew that whatever those things were just wasn't from this world or realm. It was really odd and terrifying. It had to be like 2 or 3 am at the time and I remember her picking up the phone and calling my grandmother who was and still is a hardcore Christian. She called and they spoke. I remember her trying to leave the room and I would squeal because I didn't want to be left without the lights on. Her room light was still off but she ended up turning it on for my comfort and leaving the room to speak to my grandmother. She came back shortly after with what I perceived as a bottle of water back then but as I know now, it was holy water. I watched my mother bless her entire room and then leave her room to run through the entire home and bless it too. I saw her splashing the bottle on the walls and everything. I remember sleeping in my mom's room for months after that. I couldn't sleep anywhere else, I was traumatized. I never saw those things again after that day but I had some wild experiences in life after that. The oddest thing was that my brother slept through it all, not waking up once. Doesn't recall the day or anything. Since then, he's had so many hardships in life and has been in and out of jail and crazy outbursts. I don't know if it's connected but I just felt a shift in his being after that day. The next day I remember having breakfast and my older sister asking me why I was screaming last night. Embarrassed off course lol, I told her what I saw but I was shocked when she just stared at me and said I saw it too. I remember thinking to myself well if you saw it too then why the f wasn't you screaming. lol but I never discredited her nor mentioned it again. She just turned 31 and I'm turning 30 as I told you above so I'm thinking about revisiting this experience by calling her and asking her if she remembers and I think it would be dope to get that moment on voice record. It's crazy because I recently revisited this conversation with my mother and she confirmed it all and was surprised I even remembered. I couldn't forget something that traumatic. Remember I told you my brother had a best friend that lived up the street and we were all like Ed, Ed and Eddie? Well, 
About two or three years ago he came to visit me for an extended period of time. I was living in ATL with my girlfriend in our new apartment. I made him comfy and at home obviously because he's my brother too just from another mother and father lol. We then we started chatting about our childhood memories. Our adult relationship is completely different than our childhood ones. My brother and him are still best friends but they are on two different paths in life. He now has a child and a long-term girlfriend. He moved across the country, he has a career and he's doing really good for himself. My brother is still navigating life, emotionally underdeveloped I'd say and a bit lost at the moment. So their relationship is more moral support, a friend that's going to always be their type thing, if that makes sense. Whereas him and I have the more difficult and in-depth conversations. I remember us talking about conspiracy theories, spirituality, political crap, our fathers being Freemasons and stuff like that and it later led to talking about spirits and shadow people. I remember him telling me man, just don't think I'm crazy when I tell you this and then went on to tell me how he saw some tall figure in his house when he used to live up the street from me as a child. And for some odd reason at that time I asked him if the figure was a skinny guy? And he said skinny with a tall hat and long fingers. I swear we both had like a twin telepathy moment and at that moment we both knew that we experienced one of the same entities. He told me his story and I told him mine and we both just sat there disturbed. It was weird and creepy and even unto this day we phone each other up and talk about the crazy experiences we had and are still having in this world today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.